Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? We are so excited for our next guest today, Joshua Cruz. Joshua is a courageous and honest man who realized that his relationship with depression and anxiety needed to be looked at through a different lens, a therapeutic lens. Joshua is helping people of color remove the mystery about counseling therapy and helping others find their truth. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. And that was such a wonderful introduction. (laughs) Thank you. Joshua, thank you for not making me stalk you like I have to stalk (laughs) others from on the show. I appreciate that. I'm honored to be here. When you reached out, I was like, yes, of okay. course. <laughs> right on. Put the word out there so I don't have to stalk people. Right. <laughs> I'll share. Trust me. Thank you. Thank you. So Susie and I like to do a little research on our guests. I love this quote, you know, which says, I mustered up the guts to face who I had been running from since I was 12 mm. years old. Who were you from zero to 12? Ooh. Yeah, we go in. We go in. Yes. <laughs> well, who I was, I, I the first thing that comes to mind, actually, when you ask that question is I was a mama's boy. My mother was my love, my everything. She was a single mother, worked her butt off, you know, came from her own traumatic experiences. And so I definitely remember just being attached to her so much. And so when I think about about who I was from zero to 12, it definitely was a mama's boy. And I miss my mother so much. And she has inspired so much of my journey. And and when I think about the growth that I've had, it's through her that I feel more empowered to continue to do that. That's beautiful. So then what was the next part of your journey like? Like, when did you realize you needed to seek help? Mm, So... My mother passed away when I was 12 and that's when my, yeah, when my life changed. And as I just mentioned, you know, being a mama's boy, when your mother dies, it's like, okay, so who do I have now? My father wasn't in my life at all, really, when I was growing up, which was very, you know, it's unfortunate. And, but my mother always used to say she was my mother and my father. (laughs) So like, of course I did feel like I was missing out, but she always like made up for everything, you know, in, in that sense of, you know, loving from both parents, you know, she tried so hard, but, you know, she passed away and I became very vulnerable trying to kind of like fill this void. I felt for a long time that I was missing something and I didn't know what it was. I don't know how deep you want to go, but I guess I'll just kind of dive into it. You know, when I was When I was 12, you know, after my mother passed away, I was very vulnerable. And so I had a next door neighbor who unfortunately took advantage of me and molested me when I was a child for maybe, I think, about about a year, a year or two, if I remember correctly. And that also, you know, (laughs) in the span of losing my mother, experiencing that kind of like changed, I think, the trajectory of my life and really pushed me towards a version of myself that I didn't know or didn't think would exist 
throughout my years of like throughout my teenage years into my adulthood. And so I lived with that shame for such a long time, just blaming myself for that because I am, I do identify as queer. And at that time, you know, at this point in my life, I, I identify more as queer, but I did identify as gay for a very long period of time. And so I thought that it was something that I wanted. I thought that I, because I'm gay, like, oh, I must have said something. I must have flirted or did something to make him think that it was okay to to do the things that he did to me. And so holding on to that pain for so long, it was shaped me and it was really hard to kind of break free from that. And so that that experience and holding on to that shame and that pain really kind of caused other things to happen in my life where it's like I hated myself for a long time. I hated my body. I hated the way that I looked. I hated myself for being gay sometimes, you know, being too feminine. But I also was trying so hard to find value or validation from other people. I wanted so badly for people to give me validation because I didn't know who I was. Thank you for being so honest and raw. I really appreciate that. I want to correct one thing you said just because it's kind of a thing of mine. You were sexually abused. Mm. I think molestation makes it sound way too polite. Sexual abuse is what that was. There was a person who violated you and there's nothing nice about that. Um, You had a hard journey to kind of figure out on your own. And so it's just, I really appreciate your honesty. I know that's going to help someone. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, just really quick. It's interesting that you you say that because for so long, it was so hard for me to even like say like, oh, I, that I was sexually, that I was molested or like even yeah. to put it in a word of like, I was taken advantage of. Like yeah. even to say the words like molestation or sexual abuse mm-hmm. or sexual assault or things like, it's still kind of like, I feel even uncomfortable saying it right now. Mm-hmm. But one of my values is to be honest and, and to be courageous. And so I know that this is something that I need to do and talk about and speak out in order for me to push through that fear that I have and let go of that shame. But thank right. you for that. Yeah, no problem. And shame is tricky. You know, it's definitely a process. And just you being so open about it definitely facilitates that process. You know, one of the things that caught my eye about you, aside from being extremely adorable, is that, <laughs> is that, you know, you really are working hard to remove the stigma from mental health in communities of color. And it's, it's so difficult. You know, Susie and I are both clinicians and I've been doing this for over 25 years on the front line for most of my career, just trying to make uh, therapy user, user-friendly to the community. You know, I love this other quote that you have, which is therapy led to uncovering a multitude of shameful ideas I had about myself. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like what kinds of themes and messages were you burdened by? When I, it's interesting because I was writing about this today. And when I got into therapy, my, one of the questions that shook me to my core that my therapist had asked me was, who are you? And it was so difficult for me to answer that question at first because the person that I thought I was, the common words that I used were garbage, ugly, undeserving, unworthy. You know, I had suicidal ideation for a very long time. Yeah, I for such a long time, I just felt like I was not worth anything. I 
would always walk outside and put on the smile and I would go to work and I would give the best customer service and I would be the most hardworking one in, in the building. But deep down inside or when I got home, when I was laying on my couch, when I was in my bathroom crying in my bathtub, the words garbage, unworthy, undeserving, those three words were definitely the, the ones that always came up in my mind because of the way that my life went from the from the time that I was sexually abused mm -hmm. up until I started to actually come to terms with what had happened to me because for a long time I didn't think that it was sexual abuse I thought it was like well I'm this gay boy and this man is giving me attention that my father didn't give to me and he's saying I love you and he's nurturing me and so you know this must be right this must be what I want this must be what he thinks I want and so it's my fault, you know? And then everything else that came after that and the way that I treated my own body, the way that I treated sex and the way that I treated, you know, my, my own existence and my physicality just was, seemed so wrong. Um, and I always felt that I was wrong. So in the process of thinking you were wrong, what shifted? Because you said that, you know, you found a therapist. How did you go about finding that therapist? And how did you know that this was the person for you? I think that'd be helpful for people to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So it was during 2020, obviously, Black Lives Matter protests were, excuse me, were huge at that point. George Floyd was murdered. And I was sort of having this identity crisis because I, when I, I lost my mother and my father was not around, I was raised by white people. And I didn't really have gay or queer representation in my life. And so when the Black Lives Matter process were happening, I was like, well, I'm Black. Like, I, when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm Black. But for so long, I didn't feel that I had done enough for my communities because I was not raised or I was not shown those, that culture, right? I had to kind of discover everything myself. And so it was really difficult for me at that point because I was like, who am I? What is happening? Like, I'm going through this, this remembrance of this traumatic experience. I'm going through this identity crisis and all of these things. It clicked in my head. I was like, well, if I am going to get help, it needs to be from someone that, for me, looks like me and identifies like I do. Because I think my experience is so specific that to talk to somebody that can really relate and resonate and speak to my experience, maybe not exactly, but to be able to say, yes, I went through something so similar. I know what it's like to be living in a Black family or being raised by growing up in gay culture and all of these things, right? And so it was very important for me to find a queer person of color as a therapist. And the only way that I knew to do this was Google. I literally Googled <laughs> queer therapist, <laughs> New York. And luckily I had just like, I was like doing research, doing research. And I was like, I'm going to find this person. I'm going to find them. I need this. Um, and so I just, I just, just kept looking at all of these pages of therapists and reading their bios and reaching out to them. And, and so I had found this, uh, I can't remember the organization, but I had found this one organization and this person's profile popped up and I was like, okay, wow. Like they're about me. I just, I feel something. And so I reached out to them. And then we came together and <laughs> the first session that we had, it was like 45 minutes of me crying the entire time because mm. I was just so ready to release. I was like, mm. I was so desperate to find a therapist that when I found this person, they were like, 
okay, I'm so glad we're talking today. Like, what do you want to talk about? It just mm-hmm. came pouring out of me. Yeah, I used Google great. and it and it was, yeah, it, it was great. So what would you say was, I know it's hard to narrow it down to, you know, one lesson, but mm-hmm. what did you learn most about mental health and yourself in this process? <sighs> what did I, oh, you need to take your time. Yes. You need to take your time. I think... I don't know. I don't know what is what really keeps people from seeking help and seeking therapy, but I don't want people to get confused and that once they start seeking help, that it's going to magically just yeah. change and that it's just, mm-hmm. everything's just going to be perfect and everything is just going to um, go away because, you know, I've been in therapy now for, I think, a year and a half or so mm-hmm. doing and doing my own personal work and doing support groups and things like that, but I'm still on my journey. You know, there's still things that I have worked through six months ago that I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm so far ahead than I used to be. And then, you know, today or tomorrow or yesterday, I might have gone back to an old way that I was acting or an old thought that I had been having. And so I think it's really important for people to realize that mental health work, healing work, therapeutic work is you need to have patience. It takes time and it's a journey. It's a lifetime, lifelong journey, I believe, because as we continue to heal, as we continue to, you know, go through therapy and really talk about these traumatic experiences and get through them, we're still going through more experiences in our life, right? And all these experiences that we're having in our life are not always great. They're not always happy. They're not always joyful. You know, like what I said today, I started the conversation with, I quit my job, right? (laughs) And so that's not necessarily a bad thing It's not necessarily a good thing. I think in the time of my life that I'm at right now, I feel kind of neutral about it because I don't have anything lined up and I I don't have a lot of money to say like, oh, I don't have to find work for the next year, right? So in that sense, it might be a bad experience, but in a good way, it's like, well, I'm really working towards building my business of empowering and coaching queer men of color to really find and reignite their self-worth. And so maybe this is an opportunity for me to really own in on that and work towards making that something that is really going to be able to support me. But that's still an experience that I've had through my healing journey of what I was dealing from with before, right? So that's what I would say. You definitely need to understand that you have to have patience with this work, but that it's (laughs) so worth it. And one more thing I would say is be honest with yourself through this work. Do not hold back because if you are doing mental health work, if you're doing therapeutic work, if you're really trying to dig in and and heal yourself, you can't, the one person that you can't hold back from is yourself. Because if you hold back from yourself and you, you don't tell yourselves the truths that you really need to hear, then you're not going to heal and you're not going to find the peace and the joy and the happiness that you truly seek. You know, you've said a couple of things that I think are all of it's amazing, but there's a couple of things that stand out to me. And one is that you sought out a clinician of color, which a lot of people don't know they have the option to do. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. So I just want to emphasize that. The second thing is that, you know, the honesty piece. People think they go into therapy and their therapist is a mind reader. Mm-hmm. And a lot of traditional therapy training has to do with, and how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not culturally astute or aware in a lot of ways. And so people have the right to make sure the clinician, whether it's a person of color or not, has the skill set to tolerate the cultural aspects of therapy. And if they don't, then 
in my opinion, it's unethical um, because they should be referring you out to someone who does because our culture is a huge part of who we are. And so that's the other thing that, that you spoke to that I really appreciate. And, and then the process, it is a process. You know, one of my clients asked, well, you know, when will I be done with this? And I'm like, uh, 2030, I don't, <laughs> I don't have a date on hand. <laughs> right. How long did it yeah. take you to get here? You know, right. it's mm-hmm. definitely a journey. So I appreciate and just wanted to emphasize those few things. You know, you started off by saying that um, what your identity is. So I wanted to jump into that a little bit. How do you identify? I know you said you used to identify as a gay man. Now you identify more in line with the queer um, yeah. identity. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. So throughout my years, I, I and I think it's because in this day and time, queer is a, is a very it's more common that you hear the word queer, I think. People are very much opening their minds and other people in that community are teaching society what it means to be queer. And, you know, it's such a broad term. So there's so many things within that. For me, I have throughout my life always thought that I was very attracted to men. I just I was very attracted to men, but I started to open my mind more. And I don't know if you ever saw the show Euphoria. Oh, yeah. Um, such I a have. good show. Oh, such a Great good show. show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on the show, they someone, I can't remember who it is, but someone says that sexuality is on a spectrum, something like this. When they said that, it like opened my mind because I was like, that's so true because there have been times where I have been, I have talked to maybe a trans man and maybe not even knowing that they were trans men, but I was still just attracted to them because of who they were, uh, because of the conversation, because of you know, them just making me laugh and making me smile. And it wasn't until after that I found out that they were a trans man, but it didn't matter to me. I was just like, okay, like, I I like you as a person, right? And so for me, I started started to think like, okay, well, if if the body parts don't matter, if that stuff is not really important to me, what is important to me? And so I started to think like, I want to be with someone that loves me for me and is going to accept me for me and that I can love them for them and accept them for them for, for all that they are and really go on this journey of self-discovery together. And for me, that's what queer means, you know? And so that's, that can be anything, you know, within that spectrum. That's really helpful. I love asking people what it means to them. As a professor, I hear a lot of different meanings and I'm old school. You know, you were gay, bi, or straight. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I had to evolve so much in my own education within the community. And it's interesting how many different variations of what queer means. So it's really helpful to hear that one. I have to say that one's pretty excellent as a matter of fact. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Very helpful. (laughs) Thank you. So You know, I know many people reach out to you for your opinion and for support. And I'm just wondering, how has that helped you on your path to sustaining mental health? Great question. I love when people reach out to me for advice or even just to talk or even just to say thank you for saying what you said. Because I have been on the other side where I've seen a video or I've seen a post or I've read someone's book and I'm just like, wow, this changed my life. And so me being me as the person that has whose life has been changed, being able to reach out to that person and say, I just want to let you know that you've done something for me with your words, with your work, with whatever it is that you're putting onto the world. Thank you for that. And so to be on the other side and receiving those messages, it brings me so much joy because I'm like, okay, 
first of all, I know now for sure that I'm not the only one in the world that is going through these issues that I'm mm-hmm. going through. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that's been through these experiences. So to get those messages, it really helps to heal me, heal me as well, because I'm like, I'm not alone like I thought I was. Um, and then I had a conversation with a friend actually on a different podcast, and he actually brought up a really good point because I had talked about how I wasn't seeking validation anymore. But he said, do you think that we are still always seeking validation in a way, but it's just in a different way? And I said, actually, that makes sense. I think that you're right. And the way that I see it now is that before I was seeking validation through my body, trying to get people to like me for my physical form and for my successes and all of these things. And now the way that I look at it is that the validation that I'm receiving is from the work that I'm doing and putting out there and being able to change people's lives. And so I'm I'm getting a sense of purpose rather than a sense of importance for the body that I'm living in or the trophies that I've won or the title that I hold at some company, right? I'm, I'm getting validation from being able to serve other people and, and, and inspire them. And so that's what I get from these, when I get these messages. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to Susie in one minute, but I just want to say a couple of things. Number one, I hope I didn't offend you by talking about you being adorable. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Thank I want to make sure. And then <clears throat> the other thing is that, you know, I tell clinicians all the time, you are under a, a rock if you think we came to this work just out of the goodness of our hearts, <laughs> you know? So that resonates with me when you're talking about validation. You know, sometimes it's a continuation of healing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a corrective experience. Sometimes it's, like you said, validation, just knowing you're not the only one who's been through something. And the gift of wanting to give it to someone else is not a crime, but don't act right. like it comes from a place of just, oh, I just happen to be this wonderful person exactly. who wants to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I appreciate you making that connection. Of course, yeah. And I, I love that you bring that up because like, I think there's also that that thought of and feeling of like, oh, like, am I supposed to charge to help people? Like, am I supposed to not, am I supposed yeah. to ask for money? Like, am I a bad person if I'm asking money from these people? But I think about it and I'm like, well, we have to make a living too, you know? Like we're dedicating our lives to hopefully, you know, helping people to change their lives. And there's a side of that that is very amazing. And in the sense that it, I guess you can say it's priceless, right? But on the other right. side, we still have to make a living and we still have to support ourselves and we still have to be okay to be able to give that service to people. Okay. So that helps me to remember that what I'm doing, I have to remember that, yeah, it's not only just out of the goodness of my heart that I want to help people, but it's also because I want to help myself and Absolutely. be able to own my own business and be able to be my own boss. <laughs> right. right. I feel you on that. Take it away, Suze. All right. Well, first of all, thank you. I wanted to connect with you, Joshua, on the body. Mm. Because for me, as a white woman of privilege, I struggled with anorexia for 45 years. I had a really successful career, but it was all about what you had said, which really struck me, is looking for the validation through your body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's really the the want for respect, the inability to express your feelings yeah. and all of the ways that you very profoundly named it today. I just want to thank you for because there are so many people on the other side of that screen that are hurting and have too much shame, a word we've been talking about a lot, to yeah. be able to say, hey, I, I feel it too, or I, I need help with that. So. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And speaking of behind the screen, 
<laughs> would you say, you know, what do people really reach out to you about for what are some of the common themes that you get in your inbox? Yeah. People want to be more comfortable with themselves. Um, that's a big one for sure. People want to be able to stand in their truth. They want to be able to show up as themselves completely in all environments, whether that be at work, whether that be in their group of friends, whether they're going to the club, whether they're going to brunch, whatever, you know, that's definitely a common theme that I'm seeing. And, and I think within the gay community, it's something that we very much do struggle with is really showing who we are, especially for gay men of color, because for so long, we have had to pretend to be someone that we're not because we've been rejected by our families, by our churches, by our community. It's very difficult for Black gay men specifically, you know, because, you know, many of us are rejected by our, our own fathers at a young age. And, you know, that relationship is very important. And so when you don't have that representation and that person that you can look up to, you then start to look at yourself as less than, of not valuable, of unworthy. And so I think that we carry this so much throughout our lives and we continue to put this these masks on so that we don't have to show who we truly are to the world. Because if we do that, then we're going to get rejected and we're not going to belong and we're not going to be invited into the circle. So yeah, that's definitely a common theme that I'm getting. Awesome. So you're really talking about a lot of intersectionalities where people who look and feel like you were seeing themselves being represented. And then you decided to take yourself off of social media a little bit. Tell us about that. Yes. So I took a year away from social media because I was very, I was in a space of, again, going back to that validation, I was using my body as a way to gain the attention that I so badly wanted mm -hmm. because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be heard. It, it was, I was such a, at a crossroads because one side of me really wanted to talk about my mental health struggles. I wanted to talk about the struggles in the gay community. I wanted to talk about the struggles of being Black. But on the other side, I didn't feel worthy enough to talk about those things. I didn't feel good enough about myself. And so what I saw on the internet, on Twitter, on Instagram, was that the people that got the most attention were those that had muscles yes. and abs and and big butts, and they were sexualizing themselves. And this is not to say that that's a bad thing because I'm very sex positive. I support sex workers. You know, that is sometimes the only thing that people in our community can do because we're rejected from our families and pushed out and we're not hired, right, for jobs. But for me, it was not a path that I wanted to go down, but I saw that that was the only way that I could go because I wanted or I was so desperate for the attention of all of these people. And I constantly compared myself to other people that looked like me on social media. And so I said, well, why do they have all of this attention? And I don't. We look similar. We identify the same. My body isn't my body just as good as theirs. What do I need to do to have a better body? Even though I already have abs, even though I have already big biceps, they are getting more attention than I am. So what do I need to do? Let me go back into the gym. Let me pump more iron. Let me eat less. You know, all of these things. So that just was like a, a big wake-up call for me, you know. And there was actually a point even that I started to kind of dabble in adult entertainment. You know, I, I didn't go fully into it. But on Twitter, there's a side of Twitter that is very 
into adult entertainment, which is, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's great. And, and I got into that and I was like, oh, well, I can see that I'm getting a lot of followers for the posts that I'm making and being sexy in these videos and showing some of my body. And so, so that pulled me in and I started to get so much attention. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should do adult entertainment because I can make money. I, I don't have to work a normal job. I can have all the attention I want and then people will start to listen to me. But then I was like, I felt so horrible after, you know, when I would do these things, um, because I'm like, well, this isn't really what I, what I want to do. This isn't who I am. This isn't what I want to talk about. This isn't what I want to show. I want to talk about my struggles in life. I want to talk about the death of my mother. I want to talk about how it was to grow up, you know, without my family, my immediate family, all of these things I wanted to talk about. And so I didn't feel that I can do that on the same platform, um, while also trying to use my body as a way to gain the attention of it didn't feel authentic to me. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, gay male, gay men do privilege the body. And the, chat, the the really sort of tricky thing about it is that until you find the purpose and meaning which you're finding and the community, because the, the thing is, you never know when you get there if you're just going according to the body. Yes. Every day is different. Every day is different. And so thank you for that. Let me ask you, how does the reality of living in a capitalistic, white supremacist environment, how does that sort of impact your goal of coaching queer men of color? And in your own words, I want to get it right. Reignite self-worth and build meaningful relationships as a mental health advocate. Wow, that's such a powerful and important question. And it's so interesting that you brought it up because I had this conversation with my partner the other day because I have been talking to some clients and there were a few that couldn't afford my rate. After, after the second person that couldn't afford my rate, I was like, is there something wrong here? I have been working with another coach who, who is a white man and his clientele is probably, my, I'm very niche, right? I'm queer men of color, right? That's very niche. His clientele is very more broad because he has the capacity to do that. He's very well known. And so he can bring in anyone, whether that be white men, white women, corporate uh, professionals, um, it could be artists, it could be anyone. But he has the opportunity to bring in people that are have had the privilege of being able to make money or have money in the bank mm -hmm. or have parents that are supporting them, all of these things, right? Whereas in my community or in the queer community, especially for those of color, Many of us haven't had those same opportunities where we can live with our parents still, where we can, where we have that education. I don't have a college degree. You know, I couldn't go to college because I didn't have the money, right? And so I started to think about like, okay, well, should I rethink my rates? Because I want to make this as accessible. I, uh, of course, we talked about it earlier. Money is important for my work, but I don't want to not have people not work with me just because they can't afford it. Yeah. And so I started to think about this and I was like, am I like, am I being part of this capitalistic society? Am I not allowing the people that I actually want to serve get this service because I'm charging what the white man is telling me to charge, you know? And so I had kind of like this epiphany and I was like, wow, like I need, I need to do some reflections and I really need to think about how can I better serve my community and what I can do to make it work for them and work for myself. 
you know, do I really need to make this much money? How can I break it down so that they can afford this? Because I'm here to really help these people. I'm here to really speak my own experiences and really be able to help them to speak their experiences. And I don't want money to be a barrier for that. I really felt some kind of way because I was like, well, I, I do need to get paid. I want to do this full time but I really want to serve my community. So I'm in this kind of like weird space right now where I'm like, okay, how can I make this more accessible? And it's a learning journey for me too. You know, it's a constant, you know, going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, like I need to redo this. I need to rethink that. How can I provide this service, et cetera. So I love that you answered, uh, asked that question because it, it's bringing me back to these thoughts that I've been having over the, over the last you, two weeks. You, you answered it. And also I would use words that you used earlier in the podcast, which are take your time. Mm. Yes. And it doesn't get any easier. I'm going to tell you as a, as a private, as a private practice clinician of color, it breaks my heart every day that I cannot serve my community as well as I can serve those who can afford to pay for my services. It breaks my heart. It feels like I'm selling out. It is a struggle. So I don't want to lie to you and tell you it gets any easier. It's difficult. It really is because I, I started this work to work within my community. And obviously I want to be able to do both. I consider myself culturally aware and competent and I do trainings, teachings, whatever, whatever. And like you said, you know, people from marginalized communities don't have access to the financial means to pay for the services they deserve. And so it's a constant bargaining. It gets overwhelming. It's difficult. Just know that and keep your eyes wide open. That's what I want to say in terms thank of just you. being authentic with you. Ah, oh, thank you so much. It means a lot. And yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of like really trying to focus on, and I know I'm not going to have the answer now or tomorrow, maybe not even next week, but it's just been constant thoughts in my head of like, you know, what, what does group coaching look like? What is, you know, me volunteering my services at s- certain centers or things yeah. like that, that I can kind of like make some kind of compromise, you know, yeah. maybe bringing people together in groups of 10 and holding this webinar, holding an yeah. in-person kind of like, what do you call it? event or whatever, you know? And so those are just thoughts in my head and I hope to be able to execute something like that because I think that if I can at least make it accessible in that sense, then then we're doing something to make it right, you know, to make it possible for people to be able to to access this. I think that's a great idea. Back to you, Susie. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. No, I, I unless you have something else, JD, I was going to... Go for it. Finish, finish up. Well, thank you for coming today. Thank really you. appreciate all that you have to say. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm really fixed on the body part with you mm-hmm. because I really hope that you find your way in that because it's really, it's it's so profoundly liberating when you realize like the doorway to happiness isn't through the body or calories yeah. or a shake or a muscle or a pound. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're really like walking through that door and feeling the feelings and getting through it. So go you. Thank you. Yes, that's Yeah. Thank you for having me here. And thank you for making it a safe space. Thank you for allowing me to be honest and to share my story. It's honestly the first time that I've ever actually talked about my, my experience in this way. So thank you for that. And I, just to go back to to the body aspect, I think that I, I really would just like to let people know that, you know, with what you said is like, there really is, I think you may not really find true happiness through the body. It's, you know, you have to go internally. And, and and again, like I said, it's okay to want to utilize your body in a way, but that has to be a choice that you make for yourself from within, 
rather than trying to make that choice from the eyes of other people and, and from wanting to gain the validation from others to find your purpose or find your value or find your worth. Our worth sits within us, within our spirit. We are, we have it right now. It's, it's there waiting for us to tap into it. And, and when people realize that and they're able to really let that light shine, it'll show them that they are more than their body and that they, they, they offer so much more to the world than just their physical being. Yes. And that barbell is not going to bring you the sense of happiness or worthiness or completeness or love that you think it is. It's just not, it's no matter what, it's just always going to be a barbell. (laughs) Um, Joshua, where can people find you? So I just actually got back on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is at words by Joshua and my LinkedIn is Joshua M. Cruz. And I also have a YouTube channel that is called Jomi, J-O-M-I, vlog as in video log. Um, but most importantly, I have a website. It's yes. wherethesoulgrows.com. And so, yeah, you can find me there and email me, DM me, please reach out to me. I'd love to have these conversations. If there's anyone that feels that they are resonating with anything that I've said, please reach out um, and we can hopefully work together. Joshua, we generally ask people at the end of the show, what does changing the narrative mean to you? I think you've answered it, but if you'd like to add something, please do. Ah, What does it mean to me, changing the narrative? I think it's just about everything that we, or maybe that I had mentioned earlier and that seeking, seeking what you truly need, want, love, the joy that you really want to feel, seeking that from within, starting from within, because everything that you need is already within you. And then that will change the world outside of you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I want to thank you for being so willing, so open, so honest, so authentic. I really, this was a joy and we'd love to have you back on sometime as you start to move on this path and come back and reflect on it. Please promise you'll come back. Absolutely. 1000%. Thank you so much, JD. All right. Take care. Thank you, Susie. Bye. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller. J.D. and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back.